0: the afternoon buzz with buzz eisenberg 1015 whmp
1: and happy friday everybody and thank you for joining us dan torres it's nice to be in the studio with you
2: yes it is buzz we are completing another week here on the afternoon buzz well what do you got planned for this weekend anything to keep cool to keep cool um i'm gonna be outside you know i don't actually find the temperature all that bad I feel like You're Brazilian. Really, that could be it. The blood there is is telling me, like, you know what? Go enjoy this. This you is great. Genetic. I love this 98 you know, human whoa, stuff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not humid. All right. That, that 98 is, is far too much. But 89, 90, 94.
1: Come on. It's It's summer.
3: It's supposed to be a great beach day tomorrow. I'm going to the beach down in Connecticut. That's you, you the boy from
1: Ipanema. (laughs) Who is that boy? I'll tell you who that boy is. It is Friday, and it is time for Fair Play with Duke Goldman. Hello, Duke. How are you doing, Buzz? I'm doing well. I know we both read an article, uh, which uh, is by Kurt Streeter, the sports writer for the New York Times, uh, and it is titled Will anyone hold Daniel Snyder Snyder Accountable? So I'm gonna ask you that question. Will anyone hold Daniel Snyder accountable and for
3: what? The first the first part of that question, the answer is no. Nobody's ever gonna hold Daniel Snyder accountable. Daniel not even S- Congress? I don't think so. They're not really getting very far.
1: Not even the NFL owners?
3: No. No, especially not the NFL owners, because you know what? They play in the same sandbox. They're really running scared, because if they do anything to stop Daniel Snyder and even think about voting him out as owner, guess what? Snyder will sue their pants off, and the scrutiny will turn to them. And many of them have some skeletons in their closet, too.
1: Well, let's talk about the skeletons in Dan Snyder's closet.
3: Oh, wow. There's such a laundry list. It's Where do we begin? Dan Snyder is... Well, well, I liked I liked um, a quote that Sh- Streeter came up with. He said, um, "Snyder possesses a hubris that animates p- uh, petty dictators." Yeah. So that uh, that sounds a little like the uh, former orange-haired president of the United States. I mean, you know, and and I don't know if that's his model, but he certainly operates not, in a similar way. I wouldn't call
1: him petty dictator, but yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Well, he's petty because it's football. It's not, you know, right. the world. But, you know, it's not running the country. It's But it's running a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar brand. And what has he done wrong? Everything, okay? Sexual misconduct, keeping the name of the Washington Redskins, a patently offensive name, a slur against Native Americans. And I do wanna
1: talk about that later. And we will talk
3: about that extensively for years and years and years. Um, um, Having to settle lawsuits for sexual misconduct being forced finally by the NFL to quote unquote step down, although his wife is still running the team. And then when more sexual misconduct allegations came up, he conducted a shadow, what they call a shadow investigation involving trying to intimidate potential witnesses to not testify against him. Then of course, he did the whole, I need to go away. I'm going to Israel because it's the one year anniversary of my mother's death. And therefore I can't be around to testify in front of Congress. Okay, I'm not answering the subpoena, but I will We'll do a video conference, but it has to be off the record, and I'll only answer the questions. How, I feel how, like how did he
1: get to Israel?
3: Um, you know, um, does he really he like Icarus? Like... You know, flying up all the way up there. <laughs> uh, 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 I think he has a three hundred-foot uh, yacht. Yeah, probably. I yeah. don't know. Uh, you know, he's he's a patently offensive human being. It's not surprising that he had a patent. You don't have one of those, boss. A
1: three hundred-foot yacht. No, my yacht is only 190 feet in my dream. I just needed a clarification. We got it. No, I think he does have, according to Streeter, he's worth $40 billion, that chilling number associated with this horrific person.
3: And, you know, people that have that much money, some of them are rather decent, and some of them aren't. And and so many in between. He's all the way on the other end. You know, yeah. there's no from what I can tell there's not a shred of decency about this guy. He is yeah. a blatant liar. He is a abuser. He is everything that's wrong about owning sports teams is is centered in him. His team has been accused of financial misconduct. It's one thing after the other. And still, he holds on to the team. He denies it. He does misdirection plays. He intimidates witnesses. To some degree, I think he's intimidated Roger Goodell into, you know, not really doing anything serious about the it. The commissioner, commissioner of the NFL. Of of the, NFL. Um, the owners, other owners are scared of him, I think, and what he might do. Because he'll do anything and everything for himself. And that's what he's doing. So, will, I, will they get know, rid of him? No, I don't think so.
1: Duke, as somebody who loves sports, and I know you're passionate about sports. I know I'm passionate about sports. My, what are your feelings about football in general? Professional football in general.
3: I hate football. I hate football. I can't watch it anymore. I, I, I less and less watched it over the years. At this point, to me, it represents the militaristic attitude of America. It represents, um, you know, violence writ large. Fan bases that are you know, jingoistic in many cases and players who are gladiators who one after the other seem to end up dying miserable deaths because of the, the incredible damage that's being done to them on the field. I cannot watch football games anymore. I'm not interested in them anymore.
2: Can I add a quick comment about what, what Duke just said about CTE, which is this chronic uh, encephalopathy. Uh, best available science says the damage is not done because of concussions. Their current hypothesis is it's the sub-concussive hits accumulated over the years and in practices that is likely to be causing these early deaths in people. So, you know, the conversation is all about concussions, concussions, measure that. As if that's really the issue. You know, concussions are serious. You can have six or seven, and yeah, have You're to bruising stop your brain. You're bruising your brain thing. and vessels. It's, it's yeah. not
3: unlike boxing, right? Yeah. It's not just the you know incredible knockout punch. It's all the punches. And yeah, football players are being punched all the time, time. so to speak. Even, that's yeah. what's going on. Even in so, practice. Yeah. Even in practice. Right. So, yeah. so you know they're they're taking untold damage. You know, and you could say, well, hasn't it always been that way? Well, you know, they didn't used to be 340 pounds. They used to look somewhat like normal human beings. Now they're behemoths. And when these, and they're fast behemoths too. Some of these guys are 340. They can run fast too. And strong behemoths. And strong and, and, you know, in some cases steroidated and whatever else. (laughs) You know what they're doing to each other? It's mayhem. It's, it's it's mayhem, and we have an audience in this society that's just cheering rampantly for—it's for, for it's like the Romans watching this happen on I, the field.
2: I think the toughest one is seeing the kids, like, in middle school or high school, playing the tackle football, uh, you know, hard. I mean, they're running at each other and giving it to each other hard. And it's it's uh, it's pretty difficult to watch because a lot of them won't make it even to the college-level sports. Um, and, and the states have begun to regulate this. This is a serious as certain states of saying no tackle football. Right, right. So until that, you they reach know for, it about or You know, I'll know tell you,
1: my, uh, our son was the starting quarterback for Mohawk Trail Regional High School. And mm. the discussion with my wife back then, I think uh, he graduated in 90. So this was like in 88, 87, something like that. And... I was advocating it's really good for him. He'll learn discipline. He'll learn to work with, you know, all that stuff that a former high school athlete would say to his wife who's saying, I don't want him to get damaged by football. This was 30 years ago. Finally, states are beginning to look at it, but not enough. Now you've ruined football for me, Duke. What am I going to do now?
3: And I tell you, find other things to do in the fall. Watch, <laughs> there are plenty watch, of other sports. You know, well, there's other sports, there's, you know, other other, you know, uh, PBS and I watch Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune every night. You know, okay. <laughs> there's other things to do.
1: I'll learn to croquet
3: <laughs> or crochet.
1: Crochet. That's what I really wanted to say. <laughs> you see that CTE?
3: <laughs> I just, I just, I just don't think that we can stand aside and be okay with this. Yeah, you know what's going on, and you know they've renamed their team to a militaristic name. That's what Commanders is, right? And from what I can tell, nobody thinks it's a good name. I mean, maybe there's somebody out there who does. I just taught two classes of 27 students apiece, high school uh, students at a UMass summer program in the, uh, in the McCormick Sports Management Department, and virtually to a person, they all said, eh, terrible name, like- terrible name. What do they come up with? Commanders, really? What does it evoke? You know, it doesn't harken back to their history. It doesn't have anything red in it, you know, which, you know, which they could have come up with something. Apparently there were some names with red in it they may not have been able to use because somebody took the names first. Red Herrings. Yeah, Red Herrings would have been interesting. (laughs) I guess they weren't going for that one. But, you know, they could have done something else. It's a bad name. And that's what they came up with. And it's, it's not great. And... But you know, Snyder's gonna double down on everything. You know, if he can't if he can't have his offensive name, he's gonna find a way to offend the same people he had been offending in some fashion. Well so there
1: were congressional hearings and he was asked to come and testify, right? Correct. And what happened?
3: He testified on video conference. He wouldn't show up. He wouldn't uh, uh, He wouldn't respond to a subpoena. And I guess so far they've decided they're not going to hold him to that. It's a tricky thing. I don't have to tell you having a legal practice that, you know, uh, you can't automatically say I'm going to subpoena someone and they're going to come in. They use whatever protections they possibly can. And people like Snyder have very smart lawyers who know how to avoid things. And, and
1: my, uh, my understanding, according to the article by Kurt Streeter, Uh, that uh, Snyder's legal team insisted that it not be transparent, that people couldn't watch it.
3: Correct. Right. So they're trying to limit his exposure. And Again, what does that sound like, you know? I mean, we see this everywhere, so why wouldn't it be here, too? You know, this is where, when we talk about fair play in society, it's about the same issues that are going on everywhere. Sports is no different than everything else. I want to see owners held held accountable. I want to see former presidents held accountable. I want to see current presidents held accountable. I want to see corporations held accountable. Everybody should be held accountable. Sports is no different than anything else.
1: Here, here! What a good place to break. We, uh, this is Fair Play fair play with Duke Goldman, and we are going to come back. I want to ask you more about the Redskins, this dreadful name. I even uh, am admonishing myself not to say it, but there it is. That is the news, and that is what we're going to talk about right after this break. Stay with us. This
0: we'll is be The be Afternoon new. Fuzz with and we'll Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 we'll
4: w- WHMP. Take two eyes to make a pair.
5: The co-festival closes its 31-year run this weekend with Izell Ballad of a Landman, a very special show we've been trying to bring here from eastern Kentucky and New Orleans for three years. Timed with the sun and suitable for all but the very young, this outdoor daylight event begins and ends with a short walk across Hampshire College Farm Center land led by guides and fiddle players. At the performance site, You'll witness an environmental, cultural, and spiritual parable of domination and resilience—one that explores the complexities of climate change, indigenous erasure, land use, and environmental extraction. Reserve now for this Friday or Saturday evening at 6:15, or Sunday morning at 10:15 a.m. Interested? Visit Cofest.com. That's k-o-f-e-s-t.com. The Co Festival, where the only certainty is surprise.
6: Not co-op.
7: Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on Vaccine Clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer, and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson and Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages 5 and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19 and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: And it is Friday in the first half of our program, so it's time for Fair Play with Duke Goldman. And uh, Duke, before the break, we started to go into the dreadful place. I don't know if I should say the name or not, but the name was Redskins. Right. Dan Snyder, uh, that we we were just speaking about insisted he was not he said we will never change the name from Redskins and, and eventually he was sort of compelled to do so. But. He was
3: compelled because you know guess what all of a sudden he found out Nike wasn't going to sell his merch on their website and all of a sudden after um, I'm going to say 21 years he changed his mind overnight because they hit him where it hurts. Yeah yeah with his money. And look, this name has been a problem for generations, right? Dan Snyder has brought out testimony from Native Americans saying they don't find it offensive. Sure, there are Native Americans that don't find it offensive. They are a small minority. The large majority of Native Americans find it patently offensive. The majority of Americans, not just Native Americans, find it offensive. It is a derogatory name. It is a slur, and yet it has... The
1: suggestion is that because of the color of their skin, they are a strong and uh, powerful team, that they are... Because that's what sports teams tend to do, and professional sports teams want to sort of convey their their strength, their power,
3: their um, uh, physical prowess. Redskins evoke something else. It's not... It's, 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 a com- it's, a, it's a commentary on, on their subhuman qualities. It's not just their skin color is different. It's that they are less than white people. And that's the way the native population has always seen it. Dan, so,
2: you had a question.
1: No,
3: break. I was just
2: going to bring up the fact that there is no other team that would describe themselves by another skin color in any sport that I can think of. So that's in part, we could have a debate about do other names of other teams and other sports, you know, offend Native Americans. But that one specifically stands out because there is no other team that says, you know, Oklahoma Whiteskins. Would, right. would players be playing on that team? I'm just saying that. And again, that word is just made up. I don't think anybody was calling that, but or using that term. But, you know, we don't have that for any other players. Um, you know, and so that's why this gets a special level of attention.
3: But I don't want to go too far down that road because I think they all need to be changed. You know, the, to their credit, not that I like the name Cleveland guardians for the former Cleveland Indians. I think it was a poor choice and they had better choices, but they finally realized Indians doesn't work. You know, first of all, we don't use Indians anymore. We now use native Americans. Right. But secondly, um, uh, their iconography, their brand iconography had a character named Chief Wahoo, who was a horrible caricature of Indians, yeah. right? Most of these teams who have names that may look innocuous have something else. Let's take Buzz's Atlanta Braves, for instance, right? Now, Braves, why, what's wrong with that, right? Braves, yeah. Warriors, right? We're, we're praising them. Well, first of all, it's still a stereotype. Anything that is, you know, characterizing a group, even an ostensibly positive stereotype, can turn negative in an instant. You can flip it around to the other side and it's warlike, you know, people who go out and scalp other people. You know, that, that's part of the imagery of warriors, right? So there's still negative connotations. And then what do we have? We have the fans doing this horrible tomahawk chop and singing that infernal song and you know what I concluded and everybody who's heard Bill Newman's morning show knows I hate the Yankees more than just about anything in life but you know what right now if the Yankees played the Atlanta Braves in the 2021-2022 World Series I'm rooting for the Yankees because as long as those fans do that chant I want that team to because lose because the Yankees
1: don't have Chief Nakahoma
3: that's right they don't have that, and that is patently offensive.
2: But, but you do think I'm curious to ask you this: Does the uh, percentage of Native Americans who uh, who find the name offensive decrease as you get away from Redskins? I would presume that to be true. And so earlier you said that that you think the Redskins, you know, a large number of them would find it offensive, but as you get away from it. Would you, I, would you, I don't would you know. Like I haven't that
3: seen that kind of questioning. You know what my guess is? Yeah. The decrease would be minimal. Okay. It would be a decrease. Maybe it would be significant, but it wouldn't be large. So Duke Goldman, what do you think of the name Fighting Irish? I think Fighting Irish, you know, I, I wouldn't mind it going. I don't think it, it's, it's a great name. Having said that... It is a false comparison to say, fighting Irish, well, if we allow that, what's wrong with Indians? No. Fighting Irish is a whole different story. Maybe in England, where Irish have been oppressed for centuries, that would be a problem. In this country, Native Americans have been oppressed for centuries. No Irish need apply, does not compare to um, virtual genocide of a population. And there's one Fighting Irish, and there literally have been hundreds if not thousands of Native American names and mascots wearing feathers and doing war whoops all over the
1: place. And regardless of what the original contention was by Marshall... um, it was Irish people in Notre Dame
3: who decided to name themselves the Fighting Irish. And that is also a difference. Yeah. So I do not accept that comparison. I see that, you know, the movement needs to be, and it already is, you know, all over the country, more and more and more teams, college teams, high school teams, are getting rid of those those native references. I hope we're going to see a day in the not-too-distant future where no... Professional team sport will have a name that is based on an ethnicity.
1: And it's incredible whenever the debate comes up, usually the people in school committees who wanna change the names. And then there's these people who say because of tradition, we shouldn't.
3: It was good enough when I was a kid. Right? Hey, traditionally, it was good enough to have separate schools. Why should we change? You know, why did we change that? You know, let's go back to that. Yeah, Alito
1: probably thinks it's a good idea. Yeah,
3: well, the, you know, the, we got to do something about that because that's a problem. It's a huge right? problem. I believe in traditional values. I don't believe in traditions that are racist or, or, or sexist or, you know, that offend people.
2: Although those terms would change, right, depending on, on the culture that exists today. I and mean, I'm and sure things that, that...
3: do change. You know, we don't use the name Negro, but, you know, we do talk about the Negro Leagues. And I'm a Negro Leagues historian because that's what it was called at the time. I, I don't think I have to call them the Black Leagues because they were the Negro Leagues. That was the appropriate name, right? So some of these things are tricky. I get that. You know, I'm not saying that there is a a clear-cut answer all the time, but I certainly think here, moving away from Native American names is the right direction to go in, and thankfully the Redskins name is gone.
1: Thankfully the Redskins name, and all we have to do now is get rid of Dan Snyder. Well, that's not all we have to do, but
3: we can start. Step in the right
1: direction. That's right. Duke, thank you so much for joining us. I love Fair Play. Thank you. It is a
3: great part
1: of our uh, every other week. And I love social justice, so you bring it all home for us.
3: Well, my pleasure. I really enjoyed
1: doing it. Looking forward to the next time you're on.
3: Great. Me too.
1: Thank you. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk about CRESS, the Community Responders for Equity, Safety, and Service. We're going to have the director, Earl Miller, on, I think, on the phone. Is that right? That's correct, on the phone, and I can't wait to learn more about what Amherst is doing in that regard. Stay with us.
0: This is The Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP.
5: The Afternoon Buzz is brought to you by Lundgren, family run since 1964. Greenfield's largest automotive group is the place to buy your next Honda, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, or Ram. Experience it in Greenfield.
4: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More than $2.5 billion in tax rebate checks may be going out to Massachusetts residents soon. State tax revenues are up 20%, around a $3.5 billion surplus. Governor Charlie Baker made the announcement saying these checks are meant to help residents with the press of inflation and would be in addition to the $250 stimulus checks that were approved by the Massachusetts Senate. Congressman Jim McGovern says the recent reversal by Senator Joe Manchin to reach a deal on a $739 billion package to increase taxes on the wealthy and invest that money in climate and health care is good news. This
8: is not only about investing a significant amount of money into combating climate change, but it's also about lowering prescription drugs. And it's paid for with taxing very, very wealthy people in this country, so it won't have an inflationary impact. So this is good news.
4: President Biden says if the bill passes, it would be the most significant legislation in history to tackle the climate crisis and improve energy security right away. The City of Holyoke's Department of Public Works is warning residents to avoid water contact due to combined sewer overflow discharge. Precipitation within the last 24 hours caused combined sewer overflow discharges from the sewage collection system to the Connecticut River, which could also affect adjacent communities. Swimming, fishing, boating and other uses are discouraged. And tonight is one of the largest lottery prizes in U.S. history. The jackpot for the multi-state Mega Millions game has reached $1.1 the fourth largest prize ever in the United States.
0: Partly sunny this afternoon, chance for a scattered, mainly light shower, high of 86 to 90. Chance for showers this evening, otherwise variable clouds, 58 to 64. Low humidity tomorrow, mostly sunny, 82 to 86. Dry in mid-80s on Sunday. I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2 only on WHMP.
5: Brought to you by Business West. The vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West.
0: The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.
6: Hi, it's Jessica, owner of Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. As the weather gets warmer, I know many of you are thinking about your summer workout schedule. And if you're like me, it's all about finding work, life, and workout balance, which is why when you sign up at Fitness Together, you'll put a schedule together with your personal trainer that actually works for you, is stress-free, and will help you stay fit, healthy, and balanced. Visit us online today at fitnesstogether.com, Amherst, or Northampton, and sign up for your free consultation. Hi, I'm Missy Tetro Assistant Vice President and Senior Mortgage Originator at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. And I'm Mortgage Originator Kimberly Gates. If you're looking to buy a home, now's the perfect time to save on your Greenfield Co-op mortgage. That's right. We can save you up to $1,000 on your mortgage closing costs. Don't miss the opportunity to receive a $750 closing credit, plus another $250 when we pre-qualify you. Chat with one of our experienced mortgage originators at any of our Hampshire and Franklin County locations to get started, or if you're ready, visit our our new website at bestlocalbank.com and start your application online. So come on over to the co op and see me, Kimberly Gates, or me, Missy e. Tatro, and save up to $1,000 on your closing costs. Close by September 30th, be a first time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $1,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See Bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You
5: can count on your friends at the co op.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
1: Thanks for joining us this Friday afternoon. Uh, I am very excited about this uh, portion of the program I've been. Um, I think, Dan, you know, it's yes. difficult to say that anything good came out of the uh, unveiling of um, racism with law enforcement, and how many people have been victimized by um, arrest related, often death, George Floyd, but um, sometimes just uh, injury, yeah, no, sometimes some, yeah. just insult, sometimes just horrific examples of discriminatory practices by those we entrust uh, with law enforcement uh, responsibilities. But um, there is something. That, it's, it's good. Uh, there was a very serious question about whether or not the criminal justice system has to look again at uh, who gets dispatched and what skills are required. And your town, Dan, Amherst, yes. took a really hard look at it.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they created a CRESS, uh, which you had mentioned um Cress, an acronym uh, for Community Responders for Equity, Safety,
1: and Service.
2: Yes, and we got the director uh, on the phone here, Earl Miller. Um, Welcome to the afternoon buzz. And uh, I wanted to start off with uh, you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. And I really wanted to know is, why did you pick this position? You might have seen other positions available. What about the position in Amherst specifically in creating this new agency really attracted you to apply for it?
8: Uh, thank you so much for having me again. My name's Earl Miller. Um, that's, that's such a great question. I, um, I actually was considering a different job in Boston when I applied for this, and uh, I, I, I was offered that job, but um, I watched the way that the Amherst community had this conversation that hundreds of communities started. What does public safety need to look like for us to actually feel safe? And in most communities, they got to a certain point where they had to face some realities of what the, the public safety network is experienced as by folks in the community. And frankly, the vast majority of them gave up. Mm. But in Amherst, they didn't. Um, they just kept pushing at it. And I appreciated so much in Amherst, particularly particularly that the police department and fire department were a part of the process. Mm. This wasn't a... This wasn't, hey, we're going to figure this out in the corner. It's going to be disconnected from what we do. It was, we think that there are some calls in town that could be treated differently and that we could bring folks in who could serve as change agents and really think about the culture of public safety. So um, it was the community that intrigued me. Mm. Uh, It was the people, the CSWG, the Community Safety Working Group. Um, It was uh, Paul Backelman, the town manager, who um, is really one of the, the most uh, thoughtful leaders I've ever worked under, and it was that I'm, I'm a black man in Western Mass, and, and as this was happening, I had to look at my own children and really say, you know, at the end of the day, what am I going to tell them, mm-hmm. uh, that their dad existed in this moment of turmoil, and did I use my skills to make the world a better place, or did I chase a dollar, and um, I'm really glad with the decision I made.
2: Yeah, and tell us a little bit about you and your experiences. You you just teed that up for me. Tell us a little bit about what you've done previously and how it's led up to this position.
8: Yeah, I'm a Holyoaker in in, in uh, Amherst, which uh, Chief Nelson, our fire chief, uh, worked in Holyoke before. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in, in Holyoke and, um, you know, I had my own experiences with police and mental health and all of that. And um, sometime I, I found myself doing uh, peer support, Mm. Uh, similar to the the director of the program in Northampton, Sean Donovan. Actually, he got me my first job, uh, which is a nice little uh, connection between our communities. Um, I worked for the Wildflower Alliance. At that time, it was called the Western Mass Recovery Learning Community. Uh, I ran a center in Springfield in the south end. Mm. Um, We were between a McDonald's and HAP and uh, in the four...
1: Housing Allowance Program. HAP is the Housing Allowance Program for listeners. Sorry
8: about that, yeah. So, uh, in the four or five years I was there, we, we didn't have to call the police because we were able to build a community that could support itself. Mm. Um, then I worked at the center for human development as a coordinator of peer roles. Uh, and then I went to the department of mental health and worked for the state and uh, learned how big systems work. And I uh, got to work under Julie Schwager, the Western Mass area director in Northampton mm. and, uh, and four years at a desk, I was ready to, to get my feet uh, in the work again. So uh, that's how I find myself and, here.
2: And I wanted to just c- compare the model that you're developing currently as a director and contrast that to maybe what's happening here in Northampton. How is it different yeah. and how is it similar?
8: Yeah, we're really actually excited that Northampton chose a different approach. Uh, in Northampton, it's a public health uh, approach. Um, Sean and his department of community care work under the department of public health. Um, and their approach is going to be in that realm. Us, we are a public safety department. Mm. There is in Amherst now the fire department, the police department and craft, mm. um, which is a really different, uh, approach. We are a co-equal branch. We, I received my supervision from the same folks as the fire chief and the police chief. Um, and what we heard in Amherst—that I, I, you know—I wasn't there for the conversation in Northampton, but it seemed their conversation uh, led in a different direction. What we heard in Amherst was that it was public safety. Mm. It was black and brown people in the community who, for whatever reason—the national or local reasons—felt like they couldn't trust the police. In that, even in the the midst of an emergency, they may choose not to access public safety. Mm. So that's really what led the.
1: We those are talking are very different communities, yeah, we are talking with Director Earl Miller of Crest, the community responders for equity, safety, and service. I think that those words are very carefully chosen to demonstrate what the mission is of this new agency so what can you articulate what the mission really is?
8: Yeah, um, ultimately, the mission is to uh, create a response that can serve in Situations in which the police are not required, um, noise complaints, uh, interpersonal arguments that haven't gotten into violence, mental health challenges, um, homelessness, uh, substance use—all the things that were, we as a society have kind of saddled police with over time. As every new issue has come up, it's just been kind of led to the left to the police, and frankly, um, it is challenging for them to deal with those issues. Uh, so. Uh, We have a LEAP report, which was done by a group of retired uh, law enforcement officers that really identified somewhere between 15 and 35 percent of the calls in Amherst that could that were not handled to the best potential by fire or police. And so, you know, ultimately, our mission is to prevent 911 calls from happening, to get to the root cause of things, um, to be present and available and compassionate and caring for folks who feel like that's lacking in their lives. And
1: So Earl, if I call,
8: if I
1: call, how does the dispatchers ascertain whether or not uh, my call is in one of those categories you just uh, listed for us, or is in fact one that needs a, uh, an armed police officer to respond to?
8: Yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give you a quick answer for once. Uh, If if there's not a fire, if there's not a medical emergency, if there's not an active threat of violence or a priority crime, uh, then Crest would be likely to take the call. It'll also depend on our capacity. There's 11 of us, so we'll be small for a while, but those are the kind of four uh, things our dispatch are looking at.
1: And how do they get trained?
8: So they're in the middle of training right now. There's a really intensive training. We're running at the Munson Library. Um, They're in class every uh, weekday from 9 to 5, and um, it's a lot of information. Uh, Most public safety officers spend at least six months in training before they ever show up in town. We are condensing that into two months, and we brought in the very best trainers from the area that we can find, uh, motivational interviewing, nonviolent communication, and the Wildflower Alliance folks. So um, it is a really uh, – oh, they're also doing ride-alongs with the PD and – as much as possible, letting the community teach us how they want us to work. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, um, can you talk about a little bit about how uh, certain uh, situations arise and how you'll integrate that into the training? I heard, or at least I read a little bit about an incident that happened uh, a week or so ago and how you're integrating that into the current training that people are having right now. Can you talk a little bit about that?
8: Yeah, there was a, a video of... Uh, noise complaint call uh, that came out, and people were really challenged by it. Uh, it's not really my role to say that, except to say that we watched the video in training. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about how our response should and could look different, um, and then we've made that a real priority. Mm. Um, noise complaints are a potentially challenging thing in a college town, and making sure that we're just as compassionate on those um, as we are for any other call. So we, we really are building a department that is, is able to see what's happening in the community and be responsive to it in our actions. Yeah.
1: So, so we have this multifaceted... I mean, it's very interesting to me, Earl, to think about the training because we have this dispatch um, responsibilities. It's really difficult to make the determination that you just identified, and it sounds like there's intense training knowing who to dispatch. And then there's a responder training. And there's a big difference between somebody who's homeless, somebody who has mental health needs, somebody who's involved in a domestic argument that's nonviolent. And, that's usually, it's right? and usually, usually it's integrated, right? Usually
2: it's there's there's multiple. Right. Somebody just shows up
1: and says, What's going on here? Now we're talking about somebody a far more nuanced nuanced response, right? Mm-hmm.
8: Yeah. Motivational interviewing is really our framework for that. It's all based on asking curious questions to dig for what the root cause of the issue. Someone who's engaging in shoplifting, that may actually be an issue of of access to food. Um, Someone who's homeless in Amherst, it may be an issue if they don't have a place to stay or surprisingly enough, a lot of them do have vouchers, but they can't afford to live in Amherst because of the way the housing market is. Mm. So really spending the time with folks and being willing to, to not just see someone once, but Hey, maybe, today's not your day, maybe we're going to come back tomorrow, maybe we'll take you to get some food. Address some of those basic needs. But all the time just thinking of how we can solve a problem so we can get to ultimately what is causing someone distress in in their current moment.
2: And before we go to break, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about how you'll work with other Uh, uh, other agencies, I should say, in Amherst. Uh, You talked a little bit about the fire and police, but can you talk about all the other social services? Because if you're talking about housing and food, uh, what kind of relationships are you going to need with them?
8: Yeah, we're working really closely with the Survival Center, with Craig's Door. Um, We are meeting with those folks. They're actually coming to our training to train our responders on how we can support them. A really important place is the school and our senior center. Um, so both of those groups have folks meeting with our folks almost on a weekly basis to talk about the culture of their space. And, and what are the issues of the residents? You know, going on a wellness check for a, a 90-year-old in town is a completely different experience than for a kid who hasn't been to school in a few days. Mm. Um, but we need to bring the same thoughtfulness to both of those. Mm. And no shortcuts. That, that's really our motto.
1: We are talking with Director Earl Miller of CREFSA, Community Responders for Equity, Safety, and Service. The town of Amherst is trying to uh, reshape the future of how law enforcement writ large is responding um, to the the need for human services along with public safety. We're going to be right back, talk more with Earl right after these messages. Stay with us.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Hey everyone, it's Gordon Oliver. And I'm Tina Marie. And we're popping in to get everyone excited about this week's The Cambridge Connection Radio Show.
6: Ooh, can't wait to hear who we're speaking with next.
0: And before we share this week's guests, I wanna remind everyone that we're here on WHMP every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. to help you, our listeners, navigate life's options, especially when it comes to financial wellness and empowerment.
6: Let's not forget about all the success stories, too.
0: Okay, Tina Marie, you
5: ready? Ready. Gus Garcia, owner of Domino's Pizza in Springfield, stops by to chat about his family's new summer of giving program
6: sidewalk sales downtown Northampton sidewalk sales walk away with a new pair of shoes temporary
1: tattoos walk away with a bargain sidewalk sales now in downtown Northampton
0: Lundgren Honda, experience it. Now, it isn't just one thing. It is everything you expect when you're looking for your next car, your first car, or to repair your car. Award-winning customer service, no hassle, negotiation-free pricing, and friendly, familiar faces you know and trust with your vehicle.
5: All that and the best selection, the most pre-owned vehicles you'll find anywhere in Franklin County and beyond. Over 100 to choose from, including five Honda Civics in stock, five HRVs, five CRVs, and over over 20 half and three quarter ton pickup trucks in stock and ready to roll. Lundgren Honda is constantly loading up on inventory, so experience it. The best selection of new and used vehicles in the tri-state region for the best price you'll find anywhere
0: consumer satisfaction award winners two years running lundgren honda proudly provides you with an award-winning experience see the latest selection of new and certified pre-owned cars at 409 federal street and lundgren honda of greenfield.com lundgren honda of greenfield experience it
4: Using WIC is easier than ever. You can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. Visit us at mass.gov
6: WIC. Brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP.
1: We are back with Earl Miller, the director of Cress in Amherst. It's reshaping the look of or attempting to reshape by adding a third leg of public safety along with police and fire. So Earl, could you tell us budgetarily um, how CRES yeah. works?
8: Yeah, so I'll do this as, as least boring as I can. <laughs> uh, so I won't dig too deep into that. So our salaries are come out of the town operating budget, which was really important for the town manager. We're trying to build an institution, and it's hard to do that with grants. Uh, we have about a grant from DPH. um, That's the Department uh, of Public Health. Sorry, I still speak in acronyms. Yeah, that's okay. uh, (laughs) But but for enhancing public safety, um, that is half of it is for us to bring providers into the town and half of it is for us to spend. We also got an allotment from uh, State Senator Comerford um, to pay for our space. I know that there's been a lot of talk about our money could be bigger, but I do think there's a real conversation to be had here. You can flood the engine. And I think what we have right now is enough to train and figure out the model and hopefully bring people into a more fully formed department when we do grow. Um, but we have enough money to go. And I th- I know that's been a concern for folks. Um, I do not think it will deter us this year from being effective, the money we have.
1: Does the money that you have impact in any way on the money that the police department has or the fire department has?
8: Nope, nope. Um, that's really important for the town is we're adding a leg. Um, I For me, it's really important um, until we are stood up, which is going to be a few years till we're fully looking like what we are, it's important that we have a police department and a fire department that can support us. Uh, the fire department has more resources. The police department is, is in the middle of hiring right now. Um, and working really collaboratively with us. Uh, everybody is whole right now. That's good.
1: And you have administration to help you do the administrative part of being a director?
8: I do. I have Kat Newman, who ran the ambassador program in town. Uh, she is one of the best uh, just people I've ever met. Uh, I was incredibly lucky to get her. The, the town animal control officer told me I needed to hire her, and she doesn't say a lot of words, so I took them. Uh, I took uh, them with their full weight.
2: (laughs) I'm curious if if you can talk a little bit about uh, how uh, the employees will work uh, late at night. I I was just thinking about this. That's why I got a little confused here. Will they be working 24-7, all of the employees, seven days a week? Or is there a a schedule that you're having to develop?
8: Yeah, that isn't possible for us yet. Um, They will be working from eight or nine in the morning till one or two at night, depending on the day of the week. Mm. Um, we know overnight the call volume is pretty low, but I think you said something earlier that's really true. A domestic violence call at two or even a nuisance call at two o'clock in the, in the afternoon mm-hmm. is different than one at three o'clock in the morning. Right. And we, the big part is we don't have supervisors. So I'm, I'm, I, you know, I don't want to put people into a situation in which there isn't any backup if they need it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hope to grow to twenty four seven, but mm. right now we'll be in the space where ninety percent of the calls in town happen.
2: Okay, and I have to ask about this. Can you talk a little bit about how your relationship will work with UMass Amherst and even Amherst College? How are you going to work with the University of New Hampshire?
8: That's that's a really great question because we're just figuring it out now. So the Amherst police will be at our um, the will be at our training on Monday. UMass PD will be there on Tuesday. We're working very closely with the town. Um, with the, the community uh, engagement folks from the college, mm. um, particularly in places like Faring Street, where the community really does bump up against the college, mm. to as much as we can m- make it a livable situation for folks to increase understanding. Um, I think there's still this stigma that like maybe UMass is a party school, mm. but it's a really hard school to get into these days. It, mm-hmm. is, it is much more of an academic uh, institution than, than maybe it was in the past. So um, we really want to be a part of that. And actually one of our responders was the um, student uh, student life uh, coordinator at Western New England. So we have some folks with some specialty there.
3: Yeah. I know her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know Brittany. <laughs>
1: I, I'm lucky I got her. <laughs> you so, are. so Earl, um, I, I know that, and you just said it, Police Chief Scott Livingstone has Um, he is working collaboratively with you. He seems to be in uh, all the way in trying to develop what you're trying to develop. Have you had anybody, any forces worth mentioning that are resistant to this substantial change in the model for public safety?
8: Yeah, I wouldn't say anybody's been opposed. There are folks who are skeptical, and I think they should be skeptical. Until we've done something, this isn't religion. You, you get to see the work in a month. So if people are skeptical, I just ask them to wait another 30 days and you'll get to see if it works or not. Um, but no, I think everybody has a sense that public safety should be more broad than a fire truck and a police car.
7: Hmm.
8: And it's kind of an intuitive sense. People may have disagreements on what it should look like, how big we should be, whether we should be smaller or larger. But I think I've been really warmly received in Amherst. No lack of opinions. It's one of my favorite things about Amherst. If I take my kid to get pizza on a Saturday, I am going to get recommendations on how I should run things. And having an involved resident uh, group is hugely important to me. It's why I took the job. So I appreciate so much that, uh, what is that old thing? The only thing silent in Amherst is the H. I like
1: that. (laughs) I, I like that too. So I'm not quite sure how to phrase this question, but it may be my most important question, which is all of us know how wonderful it feels to help somebody who needs help. But we don't all know what it it feels like to need help. Do you know what it feels like to need help?
8: Yeah, it's, I was homeless uh, during the last recession. I lived in Springfield. And what it is is, it's not just the lack of, it's that you can walk around and see that everybody else or everybody you can see has so much. It feels unfair. It feels like you're cursed and asking for help is this, was well, anybody ever going to see me as a full human again or only the person they help? Uh, it's one of the things uh, when I see people taking pictures of the nice things they do for homeless folks, it's like, well, gosh, is that the moment that is going to be memorialized as this person's whole life? Or are we still leaving space for redemption? Because ultimately I think that's the greatest gift of humanity that you can fall and get up again. And if mm-hmm. all we ever do is help people get back up again, we'll have done worth every dollar everybody has paid for us to do work.
2: Oh, that's uh, amazing uh, to hear. And, and I wanted to know this. Um, you'll have uh, responders responding to calls. Can you talk a little bit in the minute we have left about how they will also be in a learning process, right, as they go through it? Because even with the two months of training, once you're no longer training and you're doing it, it, things might change and i'm just curious to know what what kind of plan you have for that
8: yeah we're preparing them for the reality that we will fail we will fall and that getting up is our work uh, we have debrief forms that folks will fill out after every engagement we will be actively reaching out to folks who do get responses all with a mind for quality improvement we are going to be the first in new england to do this so in our minds we're not just failing for us we're failing for every town in the next decade that decides to join us in this and so we, we're going at the work with a sense of humility and that we're building an institution, not something that just needs to work for this year.
4: They Perfect. are
1: building an institution, not just something that's going to work for this year. Uh, applause, applause, Earl Miller, director yes. of CRESS. Uh, an attempt to reshape how public safety responds to human needs in a way that recognizes and respects the people that they are responding for. Thank you so much for joining us today, Earl. Thank you. We wish you nothing but the best. We wish Amherst nothing but the best. And listeners, we wish you nothing but a great weekend. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you join us on Monday. Have a great weekend.
6: Happy talk, keep talking, happy talk. Talk about things you'd like to do.
0: This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMT.
1: Sunday, July 31st, the end of the session for the Massachusetts legislature, which bills passed the last weekend and which ones failed. Join us when we
5: hear from State Senator Joe Comerford this Monday. That's August 1st at nine o'clock. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts.
3: Hi, this is Tom from 4-H. What will the next 100 years look like for today's youth? According to the 4-H members of Hampshire counties, there are no limits. Youth, supported by adult 4-H club leaders, are being prepared to take on any role they can imagine. Astronaut, director, hockey player, surgeon... Engineer and CEO. These are just some of the roles that a recent survey shows that our 4 Hers not only dream about but are preparing for. Join the, the only live and local talk All in the time.
0: Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station.
4: It's fun.